Welcome to the Love and Light Podcast. Powered by 1039 WDKX. With your hosts, Lovely Warren and Willie Lightfoot. This is the Love and Light Podcast. Welcome back. Welcome back. Yes. Uh, this is episode 23. We are doing a seven-part series on the state of um, blacks in America. And we've had a number of different topics, have gotten a lot of a lot of different feedback. Uh, last week, we, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we started with the state of black women, the state of black uh, men, and the state of black children, which we're going to go into. Um, this is the Love and Light podcast. I'm Lovely Warren. And I'm Willie Lightfoot. And this is powered by 103.9 WDKX. Remember that you can download the WDKX mobile app where you can listen to our podcast. Um, you can also text or call the WDKX frontline number 585-678-1039 to tell us how you like the show or give us some new topics. Um, this is the open mic feature um, and you can also leave us a message there. So um, we're going to go into our love left lifting segment um, where we lift up the people that are doing great things in the community. Yes, the Love and Light Podcast, episode 23, where we lift up people and things we love and talk about the things that people don't talk about or at all or don't talk about nearly enough. Our love lifting segment, uh, this is Black History Month. We know that we are Black History. In this Black History Month, we're lifting up all of the black inventors that many of us have never heard of or about. Uh, Alexander Miles, who modernized the elevator. Uh, Frederick Jones, who invented automatic refrigerator equipment. Uh, Alice Jones, who invented the central heating furnace. Mark Dean, a computer genius who patents several products, including uh, the color computer monitor. And this one's very dear to me because, you know, I just opened up a laundromat. Joe uh, <laughs> T. Sampson. George. George, excuse me. George T. Sampson received the first patent for the mechanical clothes dryer. You want to talk about Miss Gladys? And Gladys West, yes. who helped design the modern day GPS system. Nice. And let me tell you, I can't get anywhere without a GPS. And so right, right. I, I was too. just saying the other day, I don't know how they did it with those paper maps. Right, I don't right. know how they got anywhere. But the list goes on and on about right. how black inventors have um, contributed to our everyday lives and made them better. Um, today, we are going to talk about the state of black mental health. Um, we have a number of people that have been struggling out here with mental health, and there are a variety of services to um, assist them. But before we go into that and introduce our first guest, first guest, our ever first on guest the on the Love, Love and Light podcast. podcast, yo, give it up for my man Mike Quell. Yo, bro, like you the first, you breaking all kind of records here, right, man. Right, you are right. the first guest. Everybody's been trying to get on this show. Trust me when I tell you that. Right. But when Lovely said for for you to come on, I said absolutely. Let's do it. He's a good brother, and we're so glad. Welcome, my brother. Welcome. But we gonna before we, we before we, we go into that, we gonna yeah. recap on the last show. <laughs> so um, the last show we're doing the state of right, the state of of, of uh, as lovely said, the state of black community, right? And when we say community, we're addressing all of those things that we commune in, that we work with within black men, black women, black children, black business, etc., uh, mental health. Uh, and so the last show was children, our children, our babies. And I'm telling you, uh, I got a lot of great feedback. I don't know about you, but yes. I got a mm -hmm. lot of great feedback, especially around in regards to all of the impact of music and social media that mm -hmm. it has on our children. So, uh, and once again, we, as we said before, and I think it was in our promo, uh, 
that lovely was saying that listen we have to be engaged parents have to be engaged uh we have to know what's going on in our children's life so you know big up to all the parents who are engaged and involved absolutely uh, i was at franklin high school this morning talking to young people in the pathway the public safety program big up to vice president Lachey harris for running that and so uh we got to keep being there for our babies Absolutely. And today we are going to talk about the state of black mental health. And we are excited for our first guest to be uh, Mr. McQuell Powell. Mm -hmm. um, he is a licensed uh, clinical social worker. Uh, he's well known in the city of Rochester, where we're from. Mm -hmm. He holds two New York State professional licenses in chemical dependency counseling and a master's uh, in social work. Um, he is currently a full-time behavioral health specialist or therapist at a local healthcare facility, as well as an executive director of a grassroots not-for-profit not organization. Say that three times. Um, <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to say that three times. But we were very intentional about calling in someone that um, was actually a black male mm -hmm. to talk about issues as it pertains to mental health mm. and the reason why i'm saying that is because you know my sister is a clinical social worker my aunt is a clinical social worker you hear a lot of women that are clinical social workers or that are counseling and things like that we rarely see and hear about black men who are in this field so i want to commend you brother for being in the the space and being in this field and uplifting people but i also wanted people to hear directly from you what you are seeing and how the work that you're doing is impacting people, not just here in Rochester, New York, but across the spectrum, because I think that is very important um, since the pandemic. Uh, there's been a lot that has been going on and we have some statistics and things like that that we'll go over in a moment. But um, what are you seeing out there in the field and how has things changed, especially since the pandemic? Um, yeah, definitely. Um, thank you for having me. Um, I love what y'all are doing. Um, I've been I've been uh, following the Love and Light podcast myself. Um, so since um, the pandemic, we definitely have seen an increase um, in mental health symptoms, um, especially in terms of like anxiety, depression, some stress, and also um, substance abuse too, um, especially in our community. Um, so so yeah, I think this is a, a definitely an important topic. Um, the work that we've been doing, one of the things that I'm proud of is that the stigma um, surrounding mental health is starting to change. It's mm -hmm. not as strong of a stigma as it used to be. And you have a lot of black men and women who are actually asking um, to be referred to a mental health therapist or, or be, be Oh, referred. wow. That is that is phenomenal. Yeah. And, it's, yeah. And, it, and it goes against some of our, to be clear, uh, a lot of our community don't always want to talk about mental health and it's taboo and we need to be dispelling those myths about therapy. So you're saying that that's 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 coming or turning around. Yeah, absolutely. Before, you know, um, I know growing up in the, in the late 80s and early 90s, the last thing my mother wanted to do was talk to a social worker or <laughs> right. talk to right. a mental health therapist. Right. Um, but now um, people are starting to recognize that there is a benefit uh, from having a therapist. The only disconnect is that a lot of the times to when people have been willing to see a therapist, the therapist that they end up getting, it doesn't, they, they, they nine times out of 10 doesn't look like them. Oh, um, wow. So, so, so 
so as we increase people looking for services and support on the other end, the people that are actually providing that are sometimes not culturally appropriate. Uh, they, they do cultural um, sensitivity training and stuff like that. Um, but I'm talking about the, the, the actual therapists themselves. Mm-hmm. They're not black or a person of color. Okay. That is all starting to change. Like I know locally in Rochester, New York, um, Anthony Jordan, their entire behavioral health team is black. Mm-hmm. All oh. of their therapists is black. And I don't think the community knows that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to know in Rochester, New York, Anthony Jordan, they have an entire, uh, I'm not sure if it's intentional or not, um, but they have an entire staff of black behavioral health therapists. Um, I know Sankofa uh, Family Counseling in Rochester, New York. Um, they have a predominantly black um, therapist as well. And I'm glad to see that that's changing because in recent years that hasn't been the case. Marco, I want to I want to really pause with that because I, I, that's that's so very, very significant. And I think it speaks to why it's so taboo. Uh, to want to go and receive those type of services. Can you tell, what, why, why is it, and I know the answer to this, but I want you to just say it for our viewers that are listening, um, why is that so important that, you know, once I finally break down and say, okay, I want to go talk to a counselor, why is it so important that those individuals uh, are, are look like the people that they're servicing? Because historically, um, it's been harm in those spaces. Mm. Historically. Um, the, a lot of the oppression, a lot of the circumstances that black folks find themselves in, um, not, a lot of the times it, it came from oppression. And that, that, that's hard to take away when I need help now because I remember that. I understand that. So um, when, I, when I'm in my vulnerable state and I'm having a, um, a mental health crisis, um, it, it helps to be able to talk to somebody that looked like me. Um, it's perceived that that person will be able to understand me a little bit more understand what I'm going through, understand some of the things that probably led mm-hmm. um, me to uh, seeking mental health treatment. And I'll be more likely, not not necessarily saying that uh, um, a person, a, a therapist that's not a person of color uh, wouldn't be qualified and couldn't do um, a good job in mental health counseling. Um, but it just speaks to the, relatable, the relatability um, in having a therapist that look like you. One of the first jobs of a counselor uh, when they meet in a new a new client is building rapport right uh, so right. putting rapport with a person uh, i'm able to speak to a, a lot of men um that's coming in i know i can speak for rochester new york i can talk to them about um jefferson avenue um genesee street um growing going to east high school you know um, some of those things that mm-hmm. a, another therapist probably wouldn't be familiar with right and, and that that means a lot Wow, that is that is phenomenal. I think that that is really some great information because, you know, one of the facts that we have from um, nursing research um, and the hashtag black health facts, when it comes to attitudes towards seeking mental health services, more than 80 percent of black Americans are very concerned about the stigma associated with mental illness and this concern often discourages them from seeking treatment and so when we think about i i I know that 
you know, growing up for me, talking to a therapist or talking to a counselor was not taboo because we had many of our family members that were in the field that we knew social workers, we knew counselors and things like that. But for other families, it's like whatever stays in this household, happens in this household, stays in this household, you know, go outside, tell them my business and this, that and the third. And so they, you know, literally keep that, have kept that stuff sheltered in. So I am really, really excited by the fact that you're talking about more people, especially people of color, actually seeking out mental health. Because when you think about it, your brain is a part of your body. You go to the doctor to see if you have, you know, to check your heart rate, to check your diabetes, to check all those things. Um, it's also good to check on your mental health as one of those things. So um, hearing you not only talk about people actually seeking um, professionals, but also there now being a number of people that are in the field that are people of color is also very important. I am, um, you know, I, I also think that many times we have other populations that are not necessarily, um, you know, seeking or, or served well when it comes down to their mental health. I know that you're a veteran, um, um, Willie, and so what are you seeing in, in that space? Because I know that many veterans have committed suicide and um, have been dealing with homelessness and other things. Yeah, I'm interested into hearing a little more insight from Michael in concern of that particular population, as well as the teens, because we know that there's a high suicide rate amongst our teens and people are dealing with so much. And, and, and it's been uh, a big proponent of making sure that teens, as well as veterans, have access to mental health resources as they try to navigate through life. Unfortunately, we have lost a number of our veterans and our teens to suicide, homelessness and not being able to cope uh, with their possible military life or the traumatic things that they've experienced as well as these teens are going through uh, and dealing with through their everyday life do you deal with a lot of veterans and or a lot of teens and where can they go to get help and how do you handle that to those two populations all right, all right good question um before before i answer that um or discuss the veterans and teens i did want to um go back to one point when we talk about sure. stigma another stigma of about um our people uh, seeking mental health treatment is that they believe that it'll come with some type of medication being prescribed. Oh, wow. Never thought yeah. about that. Mm -hmm. So so that's another stigma. Medication isn't always necessary. Um, sometimes it is helpful um, to people that have severe mental health. Um, they may be prescribed um, a medication, but the counselor themselves can't prescribe the medication. Um, mm -hmm. they'll, be, uh, they'll be referred to like a psychiatrist or a nurse practitioner or someone else, but your actual therapist wouldn't be the one that'd be prescribing medication. So I just didn't want people to feel like that because um, they go into treatment that they would have to have a medication as well. Wow. Wow. That yeah. That is, I think, very, very important because I think that sometimes we, we are afraid that you're going to just give me a script and tell me, take these two pills and call me in the morning. <laughs> um, but it, it's not like that. Um, and so, you know, how are you, how are our, you know, we did a whole segment on, on last time, um, talking about teens and social media, um, as I said before, and, and as Willie has just indicated, um, this is a love and light podcast. Uh, we're powered by 103.9 WDKX. We're talking about black mental health and we're joined by our first guest, yes. McQuell Powell, who is a clinical social worker here in um, the, the Rochester area, young black men that's doing big things around um, 
redoing the stigma um, and releasing the stigma around mental health. And so we're talking about what is happening when it comes down to our veterans and our young people when it um, pertains to mental health. Okay, yeah. I just want to make a correction. I'm not a clinical social worker yet. Okay. Uh, but I'm a- All right. All right. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. All right. On, on the road, though. <laughs> so you're dealing with a lot of, you've seen a lot of veterans out there, Marquel, and, and what, what are, you know, what services, are, what's available to those, to that population? Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's a, there's always been a lot of services for veterans, um, especially, you know, we got the, um, the Veterans Outreach Center mm-hmm. um, here at Lowe. They have some, nat- some national organizations too, like the National Veterans Foundation mm. um, that people reach out to. Um, I think it's important see, when you talk about veterans, um, whether whether they have been veterans for a long time or they're just now uh, returning from military to civilian life, mm. I think it's important to understand that in terms of like mental health, um, you, does, you don't have to refer the person to a, to a specific veteran outreach agency. They can go to any behavioral health um, agency that's out there. Um, I think that's another thing that can serve to be a barrier to where it feel like a person is being referred to like a veteran center or find a veteran location. Um, they can go anywhere and really get behavioral health treatment. Um, but when it comes to like other specialized services like housing and um, and things like that, they'll probably be best served going to a veteran, a VA or something like that. Um, but I just want the people to know that a veteran can go to any behavioral health agency and receive the same treatment. Oh, that's good. That's that, awesome. that is phenomenal. Yeah, that is great. phenomenal because mm-hmm. I know that um, many veterans are experiencing homelessness and mm-hmm. experiencing some mental health problems. So um, being able to go to any clinic and receive services, please, if you have a loved one that has served our country um, and you know that they need help, please make sure that you guide them to the place where they need to go and yes. get that help. Now, you know, we talked a lot last time about social media and the mayor of New York City, Mayor Adams, declaring that social media was basically as dangerous to teens as a gun or any other drug. And so what are your thoughts on that? And what are you seeing as it pertains to our young people in the mental health space? Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely concerning. You know, um, last year, the U.S. Surgeon General, um, they issued a warning um, about social media um, and its effect on young people's mental health. Um, So I just think that, like you were saying, when you opened up the show, um, parents have to get um, more involved in social media. Like I know myself um, with my children, I'm not afraid to go through phones and and when my daughter is laughing or giggling on her phone, yeah, I look let over. Let me see it. Show that, that part, that part, right? <laughs> let here. me see it. You see that? You see that little glisten in the eyes? Give it here. <laughs> yeah, and I'm always. Um, my daughter is nine, so I always say. Um, I say things like, "Is what you watching appropriate?" So that mm-hmm. word is is a, is a big word that I use, so that I don't try to be too um, forceful. But I just I just always check in and make sure that what she's watching is appropriate, and she say, "Yeah, it's appropriate." And then sometimes I say, let me see. <laughs> so I just, that, um, um, parents could do a good job too, as well with that. Uh, one of my concerns about um, social media is that, um, you know, it's high, it, it make bullying 24 seven. Mm. That's right. Or you That's go to school and bullying will probably be if you're in a class with a bully or you go to the playground with a bully. Um, but now um, people can uh, write negative comments uh, 24-7 to you. Uh, mm. So I just think um, the relationship with your children 
um, or make it easier for them to be able to talk to you if things like that is happening to them. Yeah, that in 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 your line of work, I know that you are dealing with your behavioral health um, specialist. Um, you know, do you see young people that start to possibly experiment with drugs because of some of the, um, you know, things that they're experiencing online? And have you seen an increase in young people that are coming to you um, for that chemical dependency sort of help because of, you know, not being able to cope with everyday life? 100%. Mm. Uh, when When we was coming up, it wasn't the availability um, that we see now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, children right now have have, have um, drugs and alcohol at their disposal at a younger age. Um, and, and one of the things that's, that's more prominent is the vapes. Uh-huh. You have a lot of children that's vaping and vaping, it seems it seem harmless if you think of, if you compare nicotine to like some of the harsher drugs like cocaine and stuff like that, you say, okay, well, at least they vaping. Um, but the, one of the dangers in that is that that's where they start in the addiction at. Um, now they're addicted to nicotine and they, they begin a, an addiction. And nine times out of 10, that addiction don't stay with just vaping or stay with just nicotine. Uh, so I think that. Um, and, and what I also see, too, and to be honest, is that when a child 13, 14, 15 years old and the parents um recognize that they're experimenting with drugs, maybe marijuana or drinking. And what I have been seeing, though, is that um, um, our, some of the white parents that that's parents of people that I work with, they're more likely to bring their child in for treatment. Oh, OK. Marijuana at 13 or 14, they'll come in um, and say, hey, my, my child is smoking marijuana. He got caught at school and they will recommend treatment, even though it might be a brief treatment. Um, for for something like marijuana, and I, and I haven't seen that from black parents um, as I wish that it would be. Mm. Wow, that's so. Parents that are out there listening, let me tell you, um, you're hearing it directly from um, you know from a social worker's mouth um, who is dealing with behavioral health and you know addiction counseling and. Uh, mental health in our community. If your child is is young and they're experimenting with drugs, um, don't be afraid to have them speak to a counselor um, to try to get ahead of it. Because what you know, the long term effects of not dealing with it is going to be more severe to them than uh, than you than than dealing with it up front. Um, so if you if they're you know if you get a call from the the teacher or the principal saying like hey listen we caught Johnny in the bathroom smoking weed you know don't just brush that off and um, definitely make sure that you get them the support and the help that that they need. Uh, what else, you know I, I think that. Um, so we have a, a couple minutes um, to really go over a vast topic of, um, of of mental health and the state of mental health in, in the black community. Um, what advice would you provide to um, the community about, you know, when is it time to go see a counselor? Um, what types of things should you go see a counselor about? And um, why is it important to definitely engage with the counselor if you're going through something? Um, I think that when when your um, mental health is to a point, like your thoughts and feelings is to a point to where it's affecting your um, daily life, um, you, you're starting to isolate. 
um, you're starting to avoid. And then I think that it's time for you to go go seek mental health treatment. And um, and, and some of the tips that I will that I would immunity is kind of like familiarize yourself uh, with some of these behavioral health resources prior to a crisis. Prior to you feeling like you need to talk to somebody, you should know um, what resources is out there and, and how to connect with those resources. Also, I would want the community to know to not be afraid to at least um, go get a mental health assessment if you feel um, that there is something going on that's not normal, that hasn't been going on pertaining to your thoughts or feelings. Um, there's nothing wrong with going um, to one of these agencies um, to get a mental health assessment. Um, not everybody is recommended for treatment, uh, but one of the benefits of getting an assessment is at least you know. Uh, so you'll go in there and get an assessment and say, hey, okay, well, based on uh, some of the questions that I asked you or how you responded to some of the questions, um, you may um, be dealing with depression or, or anxiety. And if you decide not to pursue treatment, at least you know um, that that was a concern um, that the person that did the assessment um, had for you. So uh, a quick question about the assessment. Is the assessment free or do they need to pay for an assessment or can they just walk in any behavioral place? And, um, you know, Jordan has um, a policy to where I know I'm speaking from them um, that they don't turn nobody away. Oh, um, OK. Regardless of ability to pay. That's one of their slogans. <laughs> uh-huh. um, but it does um, depend on insurance in some cases. OK. Um, so, yes. Yeah, so your insurance will be able to pay for it and, or should be able to cover it. Um, but but they'll let you know for sure when you go in there, they'll let you know if you have to pay out of pocket of your insurance covers it. Um, or stuff like that. But I'm sure there's um, resources to where you can't afford it that you'll still be able to get it done. Okay. Yeah, well, thank you, Michael. We appreciate you, man. Thank you for being our first guest. Uh, we appreciate uh, what you're doing for your service. Thank you for your service, what you're doing for the community and the people. Uh, we typically talk about, at towards the end of our, 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 our uh, um, sessions here, about where do we go? So as a pastor, I see a lot of people dealing with depression, loss of loved ones, and just struggling, y'all, just struggling to cope with day-to-day life. And you know, back in the days, we always encourage people, just go to church and the Lord will fix it for you. But the Lord has blessed us with very talented mental health professionals like Marquel all over this country to help us deal with mental health challenges. We need to, and we encourage you and we empower you to please seek out one of those professionals to help you if you're feeling like you've lost hope and you just don't know where to turn. When we go to the doctors now for your visit, they ask you those questions. Do you feel safe? Do you feel, you know, uh, okay, are, are, do you feel like you don't have hope? Are you depressed? They even Those are questions that they're asking you even when you go to your primary care doctor or if you go to emergency room. No matter what your age or your financial status or your race, there is help out there for you. This is episode 23 of the Love and Light podcast, powered by 103.9 WDKX. Uh, we want you to text or call the front line and tell us how you feel about episode uh, 23 at 585-678-1039. Thank you so much for tuning in. And again, thank you again, Michael, for joining us today, yes. talking about the state of black health 
in um, America and giving us some tips for those people that live in Rochester that want to get a free assessment. Please go to Jordan Health Center. Um, don't let this opportunity and these things pass you by. Um, there are different groups out here that um, are people of color that are in the trenches doing this work. Uh, we were very, very intentional about bringing a, a black man on yes, yes. <laughs> to talk about the state of mental health mm-hmm. in um, our community mm-hmm. and um, to give advice because we want to dispel the myth mm-hmm. that um, you know seeking mental health and that there's something wrong with it. We want to dispel that myth and. I I appreciate you for coming on. Any final words? Um, no, just thanks for having me. Um, keep doing what you're doing. Um, I like I like the movement. I like the Love and, uh, Love and Life podcast. Thank you. you. This is Love and Light Podcast. Yes. This is Lovely Warren. Dance like nobody's watching. Sing like there's no one listening. Live like it's heaven on earth and love like you've never been hurt. And this is Willie Lightfoot. Remember to keep shining. You can't put a lampshade on the sun. So let your light keep shining. Be encouraged. Be blessed. Peace.